neither the time nor the space. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the volatile Matt. Hello there. As ever, we're, we're talking about Doctor Who. Yep. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about uh, the second series, uh, the, sorry, the second episode of series four, The Fires of Pompeii. Yep, from the 12th of April, 2008. It'll um, be my dad's birthday. Ah, oh, retrospective happy birthday to your dad. Yep. Yeah. Today, as we're recording, my mum and dad's 37th wedding anniversary. Ah, oh, congrats. Yeah. yeah. It's good, that. Yeah. I don't know what 37 is. I don't it know. It won't be... Like 10. Yeah. Something. <laughs> <laughs> something pretty dull. Right, so it's a standard second episode. Every second episode in a series. We're either going forwards in time. Back in time. Yeah. We're going to ancient Rome. Yep. And that's where we start the episode. Well, Doctor we Donna. In what they believe to be ancient Rome. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we we as an audience, we probably already know that it's not ancient Rome, given yeah. that you know the Radio Times and other publications will have printed the name of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, Pompeii. Pompeii. We're doing Pompeii. Why not? About have time. Have you ever seen the film Pompeii? I haven't bothered. No. Do you want me to spoil the ending for you? Does the volcano go off? The volcano goes off. Oh, dear. That's a shame, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a bit like Titanic or something, isn't it? You, you, you don't go into a film like that expecting to be surprised by the ending. <laughs> yeah. Now, how would you rate this episode? Good, bad, good with bad, bad with good? I think it's a pretty solidly good episode. Really? Yes, I'm gonna go the opposite. Really, uh, I, I you think see, I was I was nervous about this because historic. We know you don't tend to get on with the historical episodes mm. as much as me. Same holds true here, does it? Uh, at best, I would say this is bad episode with good bits, but the bits I like are like unintentional good bits. Mm-hmm. I don't think other people would enjoy them. <laughs> so, like one of the main things I I enjoyed, yeah. Is this has just got people that are later go on to be in Doctor Who in it? <laughs> yeah, that is definitely so. A like, thing. it starts, and I was like, "Oh, it's, it's Karen Gillan. Is this going to be her character? <laughs> like, I know later on she's a companion. Is yeah. this how she's introduced? No, no. It's just like how uh, the uh, Freema Agaman is in uh, the series two finale, just yeah. playing uh, random torture drone. And then we got Peter Capaldi, yeah, just Who playing Caecilius, yeah, and. Is that yes. anything to do with Doctor Who? No, it's just him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they didn't. They didn't know that they were going to cast Peter Capaldi at well, the time. If he's been in it, don't cast him. Oh, but there's there's history there. There's precedent. Actually, I at the moment uh, I'm I'm watching um, a Fifth Doctor uh, episode mm. in my spare time called uh, Arc of Infinity, uh, which features as a prominent uh, supporting cast member Colin Baker, who would be. Uh, go on to be the sixth Doctor, so the, 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 the immediately preceding the, uh, Doctor. And what makes it even better is it's an it's an episode set on Gallifrey. He is playing a Time Lord. Well, it's like <laughs> if when the final Star Wars film comes out, yeah, it's like oh, we need a new villain. Who should play him? Oh no, we, Mark Hamill was good. Should we just get him? It, it makes no sense. Just suspend your disbelief. And one thing we do need to mention. Yeah, I think we probably should have mentioned it last week. Over the weekend, mm-hmm. Pertwee. Oh yes, yeah, hundred years of Pertwee. Yeah, hundred years old. Yeah, 
I didn't, I, you know, I don't pay attention to Actors Birthdays and things, so I had no idea that was coming when we did our, yeah. our episode on the demons. I sent you a message saying, yeah. is he an actual Time Lord? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't respond because I'm very busy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I, I feel bad about that. You know, if I, people want to know what our friendship's <laughs> like, there you go. Yeah, no, People I, think I'm the cold, cruel one. <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, it's one of the things that's genuinely, one of the hardest things about being a father is the fact that I co- I'm constantly ignoring messages people so they will see that I've read them and I'm just like I mean I could respond to this or I could wipe the vomit off my arm I think I'm going to prioritise the vomit mopping for now I'll get back to it later and then I never do um, <laughs> but yeah no uh, so I, I, I maintain one of my favourite classic doctors possibly my favourite haven't fully made up my mind but it was okay right I think last time we talked about him. I was pig sick of seeing him. You were very harsh on Perry. Yeah. He was okay. Yeah. I mean, he just rode a motorbike everywhere. Yeah, I know. And he had great fun doing it. Yeah. And his classic car. Don't forget old Bessie. Yeah. The Hoomobile. I'm still not certain whether that's a sentient <laughs> car or not. <laughs> anyway, we're getting sidetracked. So, um, so yeah, Peter Capaldi and Karen Gillan are both in this episode. Yeah. yeah don't Don't set too much by that. They, it's just, they're just just there. Britain does not have many actors. You gotta get your money's worth with them. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the episode begins, as we've said, with Doctor and Donna leaving the TARDIS to what they believe is ancient Rome. Yes. And we get a bit more of an in-depth explanation of the TARDIS translator. Yes, because they're walking through a marketplace. Yeah. Um, and they see a sign, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and Donna can understand everyone and everything. And the Doctor explains that they're speaking Latin that's being translated. So Donna understands it. Yeah. And when Donna speaks Latin, it's translated to... Is it Gaelic? They say Celtic, so basically Celtic. Welsh, basically. Yeah. And that becomes a running gag for the remainder of the episode. Yeah. So when Donna's questioning about being in Rome. Yeah. She says that aren't there seven seven hills of Rome? Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, it says there's only one here. Yeah. Mount Vesuvius. Yeah. And the doctor says, yeah, it's, it's volcano. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're in Pompeii. Yeah. 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 So that's that's our setup for the episode. They, of course, if they're going to land in Pompeii, it has to be volcano day. Like it, literally all of space and time. They land on the one day where shit's going down because, of course, they do. Um, so yeah, and you, and you're not at this stage thinking, oh, well, that's an interesting premise. You know, they could have some something away, interesting to do with this. I, uh, straight away, I was like, all oh, right, there's going to be some alien in the volcano, probably some fire bastard, and you know, <laughs> it's going to turn out that all of Mount Vesuvius is just an alien ship. Uh, I could see this coming a mile <laughs> off. We've seen enough of these to know exactly what's happening. Okay. Yeah. And it's no spoiler to say I'm not proven wrong on that front. <laughs> okay, so right. this is where we first see Karen Gillan. Yeah. And she goes to see the high priestess. Now I'm surprised you recognised her because she's you know, she's under a fair amount of like fancy cult makeup. But uh but then again, I guess you're quite used to seeing her as Nebula in uh, the yeah. MCU. Plus, I really like Karen Gillan. Oh, she's very likeable. She's yeah. very, very funny on Instagram and things like that. Yeah. 
very very likable yeah but she goes to see the high priestess so my question to you yeah what is the point in this little religious cult what's do they serve this episode because I'll give you a clue. The answer's yeah. zero. No, no, they they are pretty pivotal to it. So they're not the cult. The cult of Zibeline. Um, okay, so first of all, they're like you know, this is kind of relating to actual Roman history, and mm-hmm. that the, originally the, the Greeks had you know Sibyls that that are kind of like these these uh, female oracle type uh, people, um, and. So the, the and the first you know the first ones go you know they're basically going back to to early Greek history Romans co-opted it and poured over those texts and things so um, that it's adding historical color to it it's also one of the key themes of of this episode is prophecy it's about um, knowing the future. And can you change the future if you know what the future holds? You know, that's kind of the central dichotomy that, that the Doctor and Donna face at the end of the episode. Um, and obviously it ties directly into the plot in that, you know, that by all of these uh, women and, and the yoga that we meet later, they're all like inhaling the vapours and they are actually getting a level of clairvoyancy far above what you would expect from a typical uh, prophet or seer or soothsayer or whatever. So, yeah, it's, you know, without that, you don't have the whole subplot with uh, Caecilius' daughter, uh, who wants to join the sisterhood. Uh, You don't get um, really crucial bits of exposition later on. No, pointless. Needless. All right. Okay, then. So, the reason she's gone to see the High Priestess is to say the blue box from the prophecy has come. Yeah. And when the Doctor and Donna return... They say that the TARDIS has vanished and the street vendor sold it. Yes, uh, street vendor played by Phil Cornwall. Oh, really? Uh, I don't know if you if you recognise comic actor. Uh, he provides our, our big train uh, yeah. connection for the week because he was one of the uh, commentators in the uh, world staring. staring contest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and I quite like that. You know, he's playing he's playing the um, the Roman market stall. Holder as just a Cockney. Yeah, he's just a Cockney market. Cockney market holder. Yeah. So the person he sold it to is Caecilius. Yeah. Played by Peter Capaldi. Yeah. And he's bought it as a piece of modern art. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And he's just sort of got it in the corner of. It's like a bathhouse type. That's just their house. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah, this is kind of almost a little nod, I think, to... There is a Tom Baker story called City of Death where at one point the TARDIS is parked in the Louvre right. and um, and it was basically an excuse to give John Cleese a cameo. Oh, really? Where, so he just sort of walks on for a minute and is just sort of like appreciating it like it's modern art. Um, but, yeah, so I think it was maybe a little nod to that. Then there's a bit of an earthquake. Yes. Yeah. That's... This episode's equivalent of they run around for a bit. Yeah. In this one, there's just an earthquake. Bit, that's just a bit of an earthquake. Yeah. So, Caecilius's daughter, Evelina, yes. is special and she has the gift. Yeah. Which is just future sight, yeah. essentially. Because she's, she's been huffing volcanic ash. <laughs> <laughs> and she sees a face of stone in, the sm- in smoke. Yes. And well, at least you know nice and early on going into this episode that, you know, 
it is going to be aliens. Yeah. And it's a weird okay, stone yeah. gladiator monster. Yeah. Called it. Saw yeah. that a mile off. Yeah. All right. I wonder where that lives. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor then says, actually, Volcano Day is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that they can't halt it. Pompeii is a fixed point in time. Yeah. So I sort of come round to that idea. Rather than changing everything, Pompeii has to happen. Yes, yeah, and um, obviously, yeah, it's something we talked about again, like, uh, you know, that question of, oh, why can't they just go back? Why can't they save everyone? Like, you know, um, those kinds of questions do come up with a show like Doctor Who. Yeah, you could argue the fixed point in time thing is basically just an excuse for them to get away with whatever they want to do on a particular Mm -hmm. episode. But I do think when done right, and I would argue this is a case of it being done right, I think it can add real dramatic weight to a story. Um, Because from that point on, you realise that it's an inevitability. And rather than Donna getting the sort of Roman holiday lark that she was expecting, she's instead going to be bearing witness to this enormous human tragedy this you know just natural disaster um and 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 a natural disaster that's that's made even more tragic by the fact that the people involved were living in a time where they were through no fault of their own they were ignorant of Mm. volcanoes and had no idea that there was this you know geological time bomb on their doorstep um, yeah, so for example, the High Priestess says she envisions an empire of Pompeii that yeah. could rival Rome. Yes. Yeah. So the Doctor then meets Caecilius. He introduces himself as Spartacus. Yeah. Donna also introduces herself as Spartacus, <laughs> so a little nod to the film there. Yes, yeah, yeah. One of many references to, yeah. to these kinds of things. And Caecilius thinks they're brother and sister. Yeah. And the doctor says he needs to take the TARDIS for an inspection. Um, so yes, yeah, because basically he's you know he's having to muscle his way in because Cassidus is a uh, marble trader. Yes, and um, but he's like saying you know, I'm not taking customers right right now, and um, the the doctor just like flashes a psychic paper as a, as a means of getting in, and uh, yeah, says so he's a <laughs> just there to inspect the marble, and amazingly that works. <laughs> So, following that, we're introduced to who you described as your favourite character, the head of the city, at the Augur. The Augur, yes, yeah. Who is the state-appointed um, soothsayer. He's a very, very annoying character. <laughs> he's quite shouty, isn't he? What's the nicest thing you could say about that character? I think he's pretty uh, crucial to the plot, and I really like his uh, scene where he has a soothsayer off. With, uh, uh, is it Evelyn? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I really like that scene. See, here he has, I've got it in my notes, yeah. he has a philosophy off with yes. the doctor. Yeah, that's the thing, cause he's, he's this sort of combative character. And yes, yeah, so he swans in talking in just sort of vague philosophical music. He, he's sort of, he'd be the most intelligent person in most rooms. Yeah. But here, he's not. Yes. And he definitely doesn't like it. Yeah. I and mean, do you not enjoy like he's not a likable character but do you not enjoy the that dynamic of seeing him sort of rubbing against the doctor and yeah. Uh, yeah. it's quite satisfying isn't it so he's yeah. envisioned a circuit board in a dream yes which he, he is 
commissioned Caecilius to make in marble. Yeah. 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 And at this point, Caecilius' daughter comes to tell them of visions of the Doctor. Yeah. So even though he's introduced himself as Spartacus, she's able to explain who he is. Yeah. But then the auger calls out the Doctor on Gallifrey. Yes, yeah, and, and calls Donna Daughter of London as well, yeah. I believe. So, so calls yeah, the, the Doctor a Time Lord. Yeah, so he's just pulling this knowledge that he just shouldn't know somewhere out of the ether. Mm. Um, and I think he says to... He has a little prophecy for each of them. He says to the Doctor, she is returning. Mm-hmm. And says to Donna, you have something on your back. Right. You didn't. You didn't pick up on those. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think when he said she is returning, at this point, I probably thought it was something to do with the alien in the volcano. Right. Yeah. With hindsight, probably means Rose. Probably does, doesn't it? <laughs> Given that we just saw her at the end of the previous and episode. And the thing on Donna's back. Yeah. Probably a mole. She should go get that checked out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the yeah the the series four finale yeah. is just uh, she has a malignant <laughs> mole on her back, yeah. and we need to get that checked. Yeah, okay. Maybe Martha will do it for her. That'd be nice. Martha came back. Or that like hot doctor that Martha like rings up. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, that'd be really sad if that's how it ends. That, yeah. that Donna has like skin. <laughs> Defection. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Wow, that got off topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of skin defects, Caecilius's wife shows Donna that their daughter is turning to stone. Yeah. She should probably get that checked out. <laughs> probably, but I mean, I guess their options are limited right now. And, and unfortunately, like, um, we haven't talked much about um, her mother. But she's like, she's basically sort of the Roman equivalent of like a pushy stage yeah, mum, isn't she? She's yeah. like, like you know, those mums that, that are always putting their she's kids like in auditions for, for, for adverts and things. She's like, oh yeah, no, she's going to join the sisterhood. Because yeah. obviously this this prophecy and cult has a certain degree of prestige that obviously the augur is quite threatened by mm. as the state appointed soothsayer to suddenly have all of these upstart women and he is very dismissive of women and their abilities to see the future um but you know they're they're basically muscling into his patch so so yeah from below in a hot spring the doctor hears a noise yeah and he's worked out that people are consuming tiny particles of rock yes yeah so we've seen uh, um that, that they have to like the, the, the all the sisterhood and, and actually the auger as well they're all kind of breathing mm. in these fumes from Vesuvius through yeah. through these sort of grates that they've, they've created because they because I think they were like feeding off the hot springs yeah. initially but obviously so they have these sort of steamy vapors that they're inhaling so to um, investigate yeah. further the doctor gets Caecilius's son to lead him to the auger's house yeah they break in and the auger no surprise yeah he I don't know if he wakes up I don't think he's asleep or if he's no. just lying in wet. I think he's just yeah says that he's building the future yes so, cause they see his they see his like completed circuit board yeah. in marble sort of the, the different tablets kind of arranged um, 
You, yeah. know, you might have to explain the next part. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. So Donna explains to Evelina about Vesuvius and the death yeah. of Pompeii. And then she, Evelina tells the sisterhood through telepathy? Yes, yes. So if you remember, uh, back when Karen Gillan was tailing them through the market... At one point, they, they all these sisters of the, of the cult have eyes painted on their hands, on like, mm. or more possibly tattooed um, on sort of the backs of their hands, and they would place the... I don't know what... Listen, I'm doing all the hand gestures <laughs> like you can see, uh, but they'd place their hands over their eyes, and at that point, they become sort of connected with the rest of the sisterhood. How? Um, through the telepathic and psychic powers that are being unlocked by the inhalation of the vapours, which, as we later discover, contain sources other... Does it explain uh, that in the episode? Yes. Oh, I might not have been paying attention. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Um, like, the, the short version is basically, when the pyrovials came through and landed on Earth, uh, it created a rift in time in around Vesuvius, um, and then as a result of the, inhaling those vapors, they it was kind of unlocking the latent yeah. psychic abilities. And we've seen previously, as much as I knock Doctor Who occasionally for playing fast and loose with its its concepts of, of science and and things like that, one thing that I have fairly firmly established in my understanding of the world of Doctor Who and how it differs on a basic level to our, our own real world is that humans do seem to sometimes have latent psychic abilities. We have seen other human characters with limited psychic abilities. I mean, for example, the kid in Human Nature and Family Blood. Um, I think there's maybe another character that I'm not thinking off the top of my head, but, but we've seen it every now and then. So I'm willing to accept that there is this latent ability which can be unlocked right. with the right sprinkling of sciencey nonsense. So, by telling Emelina about Vesuvius, the sisterhood mark Donna as a false prophet yep. and say she must die. Uh, back with the Doctor, he has, I think, the Augur's design of a microchip. It's over like six marble slates. Yes. Yeah. And what the Doctor does is organise them to show how the circuit yeah. is completed. Yeah. And he says it's an energy converter. Yes. And as he goes to shake hands with the ogre to say you know, no hard feelings see yeah. you later, just snaps his arm off. <laughs> yeah. Because it turns out he's just made of stone as well. So he's Coming to the same fate that Evelina is. Yeah. Following that, they run about for a bit. Yes, of course, of course they, they do. Doctor Who. And the Augur summons the big stone man. Yeah. So you've referred to them as a pyrovile. Yes. That's what their race is called. Yes. And there's a weird bit where he summons the pyrovile. And it, I don't know if it's he summons him in the city street or if yeah. you just see the city street. Where you see chicken cages fall over. Yeah. And it uses the same footage about three times of this chicken gauge falling over. <laughs> I've never noticed that. Are you sure you just have like, like a stuttery copy? No, no, of no. Because no, no. 
you see it fall over, and yeah. it's like, oh, look at all this destruction. Yeah. Then you see the same cage fall over <laughs> again. I'd have to rewatch And then that. you go to the yeah. end of the street, and it's the same <laughs> cage falling over just uh, from a different angle. I've never noticed but that. But definitely yeah. twice, yeah. it shows you exactly the same footage. All right. Um, so maybe the editing's not up to scratch. What do you think of the CGI for the pyromile? It's okay. I mean, it's all right. I imagine if I was back in 2008, I'd have thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I think it was very good for its time. Like, I would say, if we talked, I think we mentioned back when with the Lazarus experiment that that CGI was maybe like PS1 level. Yeah. What what con- what console would you say we're talking about for, for the Pyrovile? Xbox 360. Yeah, that seems about yeah. right. Like, 360 like, level. I, uh, the CGI's definitely come on a lot. Yeah. You know, last week when we had the little fat babies yeah. and now we've got the pyroviles, yeah. they're definitely a step up from last season, definitely. I would say. Yeah. So once the big stone man, the pyrovile, breaks free, yeah. Uh, somebody begins worshipping it as a god, just kills him straight away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think, what can stop this unstoppable force? But Case Elias' son just throws some water over it. Yes. Yeah. Not very much either. A bucket's worth. Yeah. But, but um, you know, water. I think he saw that it was all sort of flamey and hot. And, you know, smart lad put two and two together, thought, well, this might at least sting a bit. And it did. Mm. So, yeah. So, whilst this is happening, Donna is being sacrificed. Yes. So the sisterhood have caught her. She's like tied to a bed. Yeah, it's you just, know, it's, it's classic, classic Indiana Jones. There's a big yeah. knife. Yeah, you know, they're but, saying some holy words. But th- do you not think Donna comes into her, her own here because she is just having none of it? <laughs> yeah, she is just gobby and annoyed, and like she doesn't seem even scared. She's just annoyed that this She's is just happening. Refuses <laughs> their sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, she's like, no, <laughs> don't think so, mate. And just in time, the Doctor appears to free her. Yes. And the High Priestess of this sisterhood beckons him forth. Yeah, because she's got a whole load of exposition that she needs to get get out. So she's entirely made of stone. Yeah, so she's like the sort of late stage of what we've seen happening with all of the other uh, cultists. Yeah. And the Doctor says there's an alien in her. Yeah. Imagine being told that. Yeah, it wouldn't be nice. But, uh, But also... You know, it's hard to deny the evidence when you are literally made made of stone um, at this point. Yeah, so, so, and it becomes almost like a uh, a seance or something where she's sort of channeling the the, the, the voice of the the pyrovile inside, yeah. Uh, And that tells the doctor that they fell from the heavens, turned into dust. Uh, so that's obviously those traces of rock yep. that are being breathed And in. basically they're like seeding themselves within the humans. They will eventually become fully mature pyroviles again. And then you'll have to explain this bit to me. Yes. Because it's a little bit like the 3D glasses that we've seen the Doctor wear in the past. Yeah. He just has a water pistol from nowhere. Yeah. I, he must have had that on his person since they left the TARDIS. Probably. Because you aren't finding one of those in Pompeii. No. And how would he have ever assumed he'd needed it? Just in case. No. I'm not having that. That is a huge <laughs> plot point. What about... Um, okay. 
This is uh, we haven't seen as much in the new series. It was quite common in the classic series for the Doctor to have all kinds of odds and ends in their pockets. It's just an established part of the character. Like there's a famous bit in, in Genesis of the Daleks where where the fourth Doctor is asked to turn out his pockets, and he just says, "Oh, it might take a while," and he just starts pulling out like yo-yos and pens and all kinds of odds and ends because that's how the Doctor rolls. So it is of absolutely no surprise to me that the Doctor has a water pistol, a fully loaded water pistol yeah. on his person. So yeah, so he, he shoots yeah. the High Priestess and it's a little bit Wizard of Oz. It's <laughs> like smokes when yeah. water hits her. Yeah, she's not going to die from it, but it's enough to distract them and mean they can get a quick getaway, So, yeah. which they do. So, as they escape, the Augur summons the Cult of Vulcan. Yes. Does that go anywhere? He's referring to the Pyroviles. That's what he calls them. Right, okay. I thought there was going to be the people that worship the Pyroviles. No, no, no. It's, come from it's just because he associates them with the god Vulcan. Right. So, Caecilius' daughter, Evelina, foresees somebody making a horrible choice. Yeah. And... Does anybody? Yes. I know, that, I know that the Doctor makes a choice. Yeah, it's a horrible it... choice. He's got to choose to to basically be responsible for murdering 20,000 people. It's not his fault, though. It is, but he's, he triggers it. He discovers... Were you paying attention? Did you, did you just <laughs> dis- see, oh, it's set in the past, I won't bother with this one? No, but like... I don't want to take you to task, Matt, but, but it seems it, like you've not been was, doing your homework It was week. always going to happen... And he knows. No, it wasn't always going to happen. That's what he discovers. It was. He knows it happens, and he knows that nothing bad happens as a result of it. I mean, yes, people die. But, like, you know, it's been long enough. We're over that. Basically, he always knew that the the eruption of of, uh, Vesuvius was a fixed point in time. What he did not know was that he was the one who actually lit the touch paper. And that is the decision. It's the fact that he, as we know, the Doctor has previously been in the situation where he's had to choose, does he wipe out a whole load of people? (laughs) We've seen it, uh, we've obviously seen it referenced in the end of the Time War and how that went down, which, you know, cost him losing all of his own people for the sake of... Or so he thought wiping out the Daleks turned out didn't even manage to do that. You can imagine that sort of thinking a bit. We then see him having to make a similar decision um, at the end of the Parting of the Ways, where he's can trigger the Delta Wave, which would wipe out the Daleks in that context, context, but um, also would wipe out all of the humans on Earth at that time, because it couldn't kind of differentiate between the two. And at that point... You know that he's challenged by by the Emperor Dalek. You know, are you are you a coward? And he and he says, you know, coward any day. He can't actually make that choice. And again, he's finding himself being put in the situation. Yeah, it's only t- only twenty thousand people. That's still a lot of people to be personally responsible for the deaths of. Would you do it? I would have to feel bloody confident that the. That not doing it would be even worse. That that I would have to know hard data as best I can that 
my failure to do that would result in just the complete destruction of, of mankind. That's a lot of lives to get rid of, isn't it? Yeah, but human population wasn't that great back then. We're, we're higher nowadays. <laughs> you think you do it without without any compulsion? Like, What's without I saying? Any, um... Death of one's a tragedy. Yeah. Death of thousands is a statistic. Move on. That's grim. Who says that? That's a horrible thing to I say. Know. Did I make that up? <laughs> if you did, I'm rethinking our friendship. <laughs> I'm certain I, uh, I've seen it somewhere. But anyway, yeah, so so that's but that's the moral quandary in this episode. That's the hard choice that, that Evelyn is um following on from that, Donna questions the doctor's unwillingness to get involved. Yeah. Um as they head down towards the volcano, there's pyrovials there and a ship. Yeah. Not just a ship, like an escape module. Yeah, and it looks all rocky. And the auger says that when their planet was lost, Vesuvius is the perfect setting that mimics the conditions on their planet. Yeah. And by absorbing the power of the volcano... Using the energy converter... The pyrovials are halting its eruption. Yes. So it's been dormant for so long because they're taking the energy from yeah. the volcano. Yes. So the doctor at this point says it's the destruction of Pompeii or the destruction of the world. Yes. If he allows them to stay, they're going to rise in power and number. Yeah. And eventually take over the world. So eventually. He decides he's going to pull the lever. Yeah. And everybody screams as Vesuvius erupts. And really quick, important point here. When he makes that decision, Donna puts her hands on the lever as well. Hmm. So he's not making that decision alone. He, he also, he's basically, she's giving, always giving her permission on behalf of the human race. To do it. To do it. Knowing, obviously, because... Before, and we haven't really talked about actually earlier in the episode when Donna realised that um, that what what was coming, she's all the way through been begging people to get out mm. of Pompeii, yeah. all the way through. You know, she did it with with the, with the family, with just people on the street, and now of course they get they get launched out of Vesuvius in their little escape pod. That's right, because yeah, the way. To detonate it, they hope will result yeah. in them being ejected yes. in this pod. Yeah. So, so they manage to escape. All hell is breaking loose, and Donna is desperately screaming at people: "Don't go to the beach. You know, go to the hills. Get to high yeah. ground. Um, doing desperately anything she can to save lives." And whilst um, that's happening, the doctor is doing nothing. Yeah. He won't save anyone. He's just simply heading to the TARDIS yeah. to get away. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Donna concedes and gets in the TARDIS with him. Yeah. And the Doctor simply says, he can't. It will undo history. It will cause all sorts of problems. He simply can't yeah. undo this. Yeah. So, the, so Donna says, why don't you just save one person? Mm. Now, isn't that as bad as saving everyone? Butterfly effect? Potential. But then I suppose in this weird time loop he's already saved them, hasn't he? 
Yeah. Before he makes so, the decision to save them in his past, he will have already saved them. Potentially, yeah. So basically, this is we are now trying to think at the level of a time lord. Yeah. Which and the, what the show is in, encourages not to do is to is to do that and, and basically assume that when the doctor says something can be done, it can be done, and when something can't be done, it can't be done. And yeah. he sort of he is seeing the warp and weft of time and space on a level that us puny humans just cannot, basically. Um, would you save them? I would. If I felt I could, yes, absolutely. I'd probably just save her daughter. <laughs> She's a stunner. <laughs> ah, you wouldn't save one of the finest actors in the country, Peter Capaldi. <laughs> he comes back anywhere. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, there are probably other examples I could pull out here, but the one that's top of my brain at the moment, um, this is something that the show has kind of played with in the past. Not Well, not the show itself, but you know I've mentioned before Big Finish, the audio yes. yeah. company that makes sort of semi-canonical, depending on how, on how you cut it, um, audio dramas, um, original stories with like pre-existing doctors. And obviously, one of their most popular lines, the one that I've listened to most uh, more of than any of the others, is is the Eighth Doctor, because of course he got the one TV movie that never mm-hmm. launched a series, and then that was it for a while. Um, so the first big arc, that, the story arc that they gave the first, uh, the Eighth Doctor, was with a companion called Charlie Pollard, who is an Edwardian girl, who he saved from a, a real historical d- disaster. It was an airship disaster, the R101. So not the really famous one, which is the Hindenburg, Hindenburg but a British airship that met a similar fate. Um, turns out um, aliens were involved with that. Of course they were. <laughs> um, of course they bloody were. But, um, but he saves her from that disaster. And that goes on to have severe consequences for time itself basically she shouldn't have survived mm-hmm. and that kind of has a knock-on effect um so we don't know for definite whether something similar happened here maybe it did and maybe the doctor had to do a lot of frantic tidying up to make up for the fact that he has pulled these people out of this fixed point in time and and saved people who should have died in that moment um but yeah it's something that the show and, and, and doctor who is a property does play with and does address on occasion um which I, gu- I guess me having that in the back of my head gives that moment extra weight because mm-hmm. because i know that that can be how tough a decision that can be for the doctor so yeah so once he saved them we found out that the power within vesuvius created a rift yes. that's how people could see the future yeah yeah so now we know that cardiff and pompeii where the rift exists. <laughs> so if he yeah. doesn't want to go to Cardiff to refuel the TARDIS, he can always pop to Pompeii. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donna thanks the Doctor for saving people. Yeah. And he says she was right. Sometimes he just needs someone. Yeah. To tell him. Yeah. When to stop and yeah. what to do. And so that's harkening straight back to their first adventure together. Back yeah. with the uh, the Christmas invasion. 
Runaway Bride. Runaway Bride. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's easy, easy mistake to say. You, can, you it, can just as Every year, have, it's an invasion yeah, at, at Christmas. Christmas. Exactly. There is no reason why you couldn't have swapped those titles. Yeah. But anyway. So, yeah. we then get final scene. It's six months later. We get Evelina's going out with the girls. And Caecilius is like, you're not going out dressed like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, actually, that's something I wanted to mention that I didn't really uh, earlier. One of the things that I like about the focus on Caecilius and his family is that they are like this almost stereotypical nuclear family. Mm-hmm. They're just middle class. They're, you know... 2.4 children. Yeah, 2.4 children. It's And and so it is kind of... Yeah, obviously, it's, it's, it's heightened for this particular effect, but it's kind of reminding you that even going back thousands of years... In some ways, people weren't necessarily all that different. Mm. They still had the same basic hopes and dreams. They still, you know, fretted about their children's futures and, you know, all the rest of it. So, speaking of hopes and dreams, Caecilius' son, before he's allowed... I can't remember whether he's going out. He's told to worship, I think they call them the house gods. House gods, yeah. They they mentioned them earlier in the episode. That's a a genuine thing that, Mm. you know, a lot of Roman... uh, Households did. And when he goes to the little shrine, yeah, it's just the Doctor Donna and the TARDIS. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, but where's my links to Rose? That's uh, going to be the big thing. Yeah. This is just a filler episode. What What did the Orga say? Yeah, she's back. Yeah, but I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the last episode, pal. It's Doctor Who. They They tell different stories each week. It's yeah, not. But... It's not. It's not like Stranger Things or Game of Thrones. It's not just one Don't big story. Don't rope me in with Billy Piper's comeback and then give me some shit about a volcano. <laughs> I reckon uh. the Pyroviles are possibly the most forgettable alien we've seen so far. Come on. What about the Hoiks? Do you remember when we were playing Top You Trots? only know the Hoiks because <laughs> exactly. they came up playing Top Trucks. Exactly. How I, I, I literally forgot <laughs> the Hoiks. I forgot it was but even a thing. I was able to tell you exactly where they're from. So they must have been memorable on some level. Oh, come on. Pyroviles, it, it makes... First of all... How many uh, aliens have we seen that live in a little hole with fire? <laughs> Just get over it. Uh, Where's the water aliens? They might be coming down the pipeline. Yeah. You don't know. You never know what you're going to get with Doctor Who. I fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> I, both... Uh, Three minutes in, yeah. I knew what was going to happen right, in this then. episode. I called All it from right. the very beginning. Some men live in a volcano, and the volcano's probably a spaceship. Step away from the surface level plot, right? Mm-hmm. Do you not think that the, the, the closing scenes of this episode had real dramatic weight to them? The, 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 the sort of the tension in, in that difficult decision that they had to make... Donna's desperation. I, can we not at least agree? Catherine Tate knocks it out of the park. Oh yeah, she's good. Like and this is second, you know, second episode in a row. I think where she's been absolutely, probably the best thing about the episode. Yeah, I would agree. And that's saying something because I mean, I'll be honest. Peter Capaldi, I think he's a fantastic actor. He's almost wasted in this part because mm. he's just sort of, and um. I don't know if you're aware. Before this, a lot of this only really came out after he was cast as the Doctor, lifelong Doctor Who fan. 
Really? Yeah. So him being offered literally any part in Doctor Who, he bit their hand off. Because he just was like, I get to be oh, in well. Doctor Who. I patience get to see a, the TARDIS. Patience is a virtue. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to rush into this episode. Yeah, but he didn't know. I mean, they, they were casting pretty young men. They, he probably didn't think he had much of a chance back then. Throughout season three, does Martha ever give a performance as good as Catherine Tate does in this episode? No, absolutely not. And if we're two episodes in. Yeah. Martha's awful. No, I don't think that... I would not I would say I don't think Freeman a Gaiman is necessarily at fault there. I wouldn't say that she's necessarily a worse performer, but she is given less to do as a character. Well... That's RTD's fault. Yeah, I, I, I'd be happy to lay the blame that. I mean, I forget the name of the, the writer for this particular episode. I don't know that they write any more. Uh, I didn't write yeah. it down for once. Yeah, hang on. I could, I, so I've just Googled it. It was written by James Moran, um, who I think has mostly written... I, th- I don't know whether... I, I'll have to check later. It, it doesn't say on Wiki, but whether he wrote more than this one episode for Doctor Who. He did also write for Torchwood. So right. he's obviously you know part of that stable of writers who was working on the show at the time. But but I think he was working quite closely in tandem with RTD, as a lot of the writers were. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I've not managed to persuade you at all that this, this episode has any kind of weight to it. It's just a bit meh. It's it's genuinely, it's one of one of the episodes that I in, I, I enjoy rewatching and, and will never skip on a on a rewatch. I think it 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 gets me. It gets me every time. Like I'm not I'm not like sobbing, but like I feel the emotional heft of it. And also, I think a lot of the humor lands with it as well. well um, if it's a fun time. If we watch season four, yeah, in its entirety, and I hadn't seen this episode. I wouldn't be missing much, would I? No, but that's not the only metric by which you judge a story. It is. is. (laughs) It's part of a story. I think you need to get out of this mindset that individual episodes are just chapters in a larger narrative. Doctor Who is is a story made up of stories. It's like a mosaic. You know, it's... You know, it's it's... Each in you can appreciate each individual story on its the, own merit, and then maybe think about how it ties into the larger arc for the series or whatever. There'd better be a mention of Rose in the next episode. Maybe there will be. The next episode being Planet of the Ood. Oh, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> Are they back? They're fairly nondescript and boring. Yeah, you've got no interest in seeing the Ood again. I'm calling it now. Someone will take control of the Ood's computer and use <laughs> some sort of mind technology exactly like we saw last time and they'll have an army of Ood. It's, that's what's going to happen. The Ood aren't inherently bad. Someone will control them and make them bad. Same as last time. Alrighty then. Probably won't watch that episode. <laughs> I, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just jump in and out of the conversation with what I already know. All right then. Um, so join us. I'm, 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 I'm worried. I'm worried here that we're not going to get through series four. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's ropey, but yeah, it's been, it's all been ropey, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been so. a bumpy ride. I did say going into this that it was going to be a bumpy ride. But anyway, right. Well, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Until next week, cheerio. Bye now.
Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who.